and with that announcement, um, the expectation was that rates were going to come down actually mm-hmm. a little bit. And um, yeah, there was an expectation of improvement in inflation. And of course, rates are uh, kind of tie in with inflation. And yeah. as inflation improves, then we should see improvements in um, interest rates as, as well. So mm-hmm. um, when that's going to happen is the mystery, right? Yeah. So we are here uh, on the next episode of the Unbiased Truth Podcast, and I am joined today by Viva Moore with George Mason Mortgage. Thank you for joining us. Yes, anytime. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Um, so first thing we want to do, uh, you got a little disclaimer that you want to do. <laughs> yes. So all opinions expressed today are truly mine and not that of my employer, George Mason Mortgage. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about yourself. Uh, how long have you been doing mortgages? Okay, so I've been in the industry now for 20 plus years, and I have been a a mortgage originator for a majority of that time. I definitely enjoy what I do, and uh, don't foresee any future changes right now. Nice, nice. Well, what did you do before this? Uh, Before this, immediately, I was uh, a consumer banker um, in the the banking division um, a few employers ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where I started and gradually went into mortgage. But again, mortgage has been uh, 20 plus years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that come into the industry mm-hmm. from various walks of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of teachers um, I've come across. They used to be teachers. So it's interesting, you know, you went from banking to mortgage, um, you know, kind of staying in that realm. Uh, yeah, and the funny thing about it is if I were to do anything else other than banking, it would be teaching. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I would do anything but teaching. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got kids coming through like Courtney and I wouldn't be able to, couldn't handle it. Stressful. That's right. That's right. I was a semi good student. Semi good student. So, um, so how do you, I mean, 20 years, you've, you've been through a lot. Uh, yes. A lot of changes, definitely a lot of changes. So, um, I really, um, started originating, um, the securitized mortgage products in 2001. Okay. And of course that was at a time where mortgage rates were coming off of an environment of being really high and mm-hmm. starting to drop. So I got in at the right time and it was the old uh, rip a page out of the phone book days. So yeah, you know, not a whole lot of training there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was definitely an experience. Um, my initial run with uh, mortgages and, and I'm sorry, that was in the 90, 98, 99 and then securitized mortgages in about 2001-ish. And you went through the fun times of 08, 09, 2010, oh, yes, yeah? most definitely. I still have battle scars from yeah, that I time. bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so I guess that, that leads to the question of, you know, the last last year, two years, three years of everybody, you know, I say everybody, you know, the media and, and mm-hmm. uh, the people who, you know, read headlines and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sky's falling and, you know, we're headed for another crash and things like that. But someone who's been through um, that, uh, what's what's the differences that you see mm-hmm. that, you know, then versus now? Yes, that's a great question. So it's, it's not quite the same thing yeah. of what we had before. Uh, number one, there's plenty of protections that were put in place after that time frame to avoid uh, a lot sure. of the repeat uh, scenarios that mm-hmm. folks are, are nervous about. So we don't have um, like the, the pick a pay loans where someone could choose a, a monthly payment and have negative amortization. So the right. monthly payment wasn't enough to cover being able to pay that loan off in full. We don't have those types of products anymore. 
Uh, so that that's a big deal. Uh, and then the property values are are increasing, but with the demand uh, versus supply uh, scenario, yeah. I don't foresee a bubble. Uh, but again, that's my personal opinion. That's right. And that's based on uh, industry expert opinion as well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm in some home inspection groups on, on Twitter face uh, <laughs> and whatnot. And one of the things that pop up probably weekly in all these groups is someone asks us, what's it like in your market? And, um, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just, you know, is the home inspector slow, but is the home inspector slow because it's truly a slow market or is it because they don't, you know, not good at business, you know, they don't market mm-hmm. and they just wait for the phone to ring. Uh, so you kind of, you know, take it for, for face value or a grain of salt. Uh, but with that being said, markets are very different. Um, uh, depending on when you go. Uh, there are some markets that's lost value, uh, but we've been fortunate here in the Richmond market where uh, I don't know if there's been an uptick in value, but at the bare minimum, they kind of stay at least flat um, depending on what broker's graphic you look at. You know, it's anywhere from, from flat to, you know, plus 3% increase in value and whatnot um, because of the demand here. You know, uh, Richmond's a, a high demand city uh, the last couple of years, especially when we shifted to a lot of people working from home. Uh, we had a lot of people from Northern Virginia, like I could work from home from, from Richmond. Absolutely. <laughs> and get more house for less money Absolutely. Uh, than what they were getting up there. So that's where we saw a lot of influx of cash buyers um, coming because, you know, they sold their townhouse for $1.2 million and got the same exact townhouse for 400000 down here. So... Exactly. And, you know, to, to add to that, it's not just that the Nova uh, borrowers, um, for one while, had an influx of uh, buyers from California. Yes. Who have yes. wind of uh, Richmond being the, the magic city here. Yeah. I mean, we have the sweet spot here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're close to everything. If you want mountains, you want ocean, you want uh, the bigger metropolitan areas. Yep. We have it all. So we're, we're definitely in a good, uh, good position. And the great thing about Richmond is our market uh, never really did overheat like the Californians, right, the right. Florida's, et cetera. So we're not experiencing the adjustments that other cities mm-hmm. are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. We uh, had quite a few people from California doing inspections for it. Yeah. I forgot all about that, <laughs> but yeah, we had Nova and California. Um, interesting. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so with that being said, uh, when, when we dipped, uh, we, we saw a drop off in our business last July. Uh, and that's, of course, when the rates really shot up. Uh, you know, we you can see in our charts over the last five years of data, uh, it was just a cliff there in July, kind of swung back up a little bit, um, leveled off, and then we saw it again in October. And, you know, I think there was twofold. One, COVID was, uh, you know, by the government standards, uh, was over. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the... Um, Things that we couldn't do, we were able to do again for the first time in a couple of years. You know, July was obviously vacation months, and October was all the fall festivals and, and you know, pumpkin patches and stuff like that versus house hunting um, in in conjunction with the rates, right? But what did you see uh, as we shifted from, uh, you know, what was to what is? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so 2021, of course, was a very, very hot market. Uh, things were just unbelievably 
overwhelming uh, volume yeah. wise, which was awesome. Sure, uh, it was awesome. But yes, last year definitely uh, was uh, quieter. And it, it's funny thinking back because uh, that first quarter, I can remember uh, appreci- appreciating a little bit of a slower pace towards the end of the, yeah. the first quarter. Like, okay, a nice little breather. Uh-huh, you know, just uh-huh. let, let me enjoy the, the reprieve. Yeah. And then expecting, of course, uh, as the market uh, got um, into the summer months, um, uh, late spring months uh, in uh, summer, expecting uh, the volume to be higher. And it did drop off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it never, never really got back to where it was. And then, too, I work with a lot of first-time home buyers mm-hmm. uh, and what I do now. So uh, it really got that much more challenging because yeah. the first-timers, um, of course, were being outbidded um, sure. by a lot of investors coming in paying cash. Now, I, mm-hmm. speaking of the first-time home buyers, mm-hmm. uh, I spoke to an uh, lender yesterday, and he was telling me, which that's uh, not a surprise. I've heard it before, but a lot of first-time home buyers, especially, have uh, they they're backing out at faster rates um, after the home inspection. Mm. So, are you seeing that as well? No. Okay. No, I have I have not personally experienced that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I think um, by the time someone's under contract these days, uh, they are really trying to, to make the effort to yeah. make that deal work. Now, we saw that a lot on our end, um, the second half of the year, right, uh, when when he kind of had that, that drop in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was not as much competition. So, guys, people, I say guys, people were going in, mm-hmm. you know, six and a half, seven percent. Uh, getting the house, not much competition. And then when the inspection came, you know, we came in, wrecked everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, ah, you know, for 7%, mm-hmm. you know, sellers were still in that mindset, like, I don't have mm-hmm. to fix anything because it's going to sell regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they would back out, you know, like, hey, yeah. you know, I don't mind paying 7%, but I ain't paying 7% for this, right? right. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but now I think we're back in, you know, even with less inventory than we were mm-hmm. um, because of so many people locked in at 2 percent 3%. Um, not needing to sell, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably just right back in that cycle of, you know, once you're locked in, you're locked in, you know, because you've, you've been on four or five, six houses and exactly can't get it. So now I'm, I'm curious and I'm, I'm pretty sure that right now I'm probably not seeing as much of a trend on that just uh, due to maybe buyer exhaustion even. Yeah. Like you said, uh, just uh, having the experience of bidding on multiple properties and not getting those, they're, they're kind of worn down. Um, I did see more of that last year, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, with people walking away from the properties if the inspection wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of uh, two, three, um, four repeat clients, mm-hmm. you know, um, oh, sure. you know, spend a lot of money on home inspections. Uh, sure. But, you know, uh, that's the difference between, you know, I won't say buyers and sellers market because we never truly went into a buyer's market. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Fun for who? <laughs> fun for us. Fun for us. Uh, that's why I told somebody the other day. I said, yeah, fun for me, not for you. You know, um, good cross space for me, not for you. So uh, that was uh, agent. And uh, I got out of the cross space. The client wasn't there. And she said, um, so I said, well, good news is lots of social media content. <laughs> Bad news is I don't think this is the one. Yeah, uh, it was quite a disaster. But fortunately, they were able to get another house under contract. And that inspection went much better. Um, I think I did it yesterday. Wonderful. So much okay. better. Perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole nother story to that, that first one. But 
you know, we'll get some distance on that one before we, we dive into some of those issues. But um, so recently, you know, when we slowed down, it was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, it was nice not to be um, because we didn't have an off season, you know, the last couple of years. We were just staying steady. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, there was no really winter off, you know, <laughs> doing, doing inspections on Christmas Eve. Exactly. Day, you know, but still Christmas Eve, you know, and, and New Year's Day and all these other craziness. What holiday? What vacation? Right? Um, so Black Friday wasn't a thing for, for mm-hmm. you know, realtors and inspectors. We were just, you know, cranking them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was nice. A little stressful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, once you get like, okay, we're, we're done. You know, we're ready to get back to business. Uh, uh, fortunately for us, we stayed steady-ish. You know, we never really saw a drop-off. Um, my understanding is we've lost quite a few home inspectors uh, because of that. A lot of us left the industry. Interesting. Um, I say a lot, you know, enough, I guess, uh, which makes sense because we've seen a lot of first-time to us agents, you know, because when your inspector leaves, and you got to find somebody to fill that void. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all that being said, um, you know, we picked right back up two weeks after January, um, I've kind of been rolling ever since, but during that time I paid a lot of attention to the rates and the fed, uh, all the fed stuff and whatnot. And what we can do is on our end, when the rates dipped, you know, from, you know, 6.8 to 6.5, uh, you know, I'd see the, the article say uptick in mortgage applications. And about two weeks after that, we see an increase in inspections, you know, because there's a lagging indicator there. And then when they went back up 6.8, you know, creeping towards seven, then two weeks after that, I kind of knew like, hey, we're probably going to drop off a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Since the spring market really started, I haven't paid as much attention because we've just been busy, you know, but our busy is very much different than than your busy and realtors busy and whatnot. Um, But I also know that recently the Fed has stated that they're pausing hikes. Um, so what do you think that's going to do? Cause I, when I saw it, I think I actually saw at the same time rates kind of ticked up a little bit. Exactly. And with that announcement, um, the expectation was that rates were going to come down actually mm-hmm. a little bit. And, um, yeah, there was an expectation of improvement in inflation. And of course, rates are uh, kind of tie in with inflation and yeah. as inflation improves then we should see improvements in, um, interest rates as, as well. So, mm-hmm. um, when that's going to happen is the mystery, right? Yeah. Um, but right now, yeah, we're, we have seen an uptick. Yeah. And there was, some um, uh, a lot of predictions and, you know, you know how those predictions go. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> that rates were going to be back into at least the fives mm-hmm. by the end of the year. And now after the fed hike, uh, the pausing, um, and they ticked up the last one I saw, and of course, you can read two different articles with two vastly different opinions. Exactly. Uh, um, now they're predicting, mm-hmm. you know, maybe low sixes, you know, so they've kind of adjusted their or tempered their expectations of where we're going to be at. Sid, let me tell you that uh, crystal ball is a little cloudy right <laughs> that's now. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely interesting to see how volatile it's been, you know, from day to day, you know, minute to minute, um, how fast all that stuff's changing. Yeah. And surprisingly, though, it hasn't it compared to when we saw market shifts in the past um, pre-COVID, it honestly has not. Um, well, other than when we saw the initial uh, uptick, mm-hmm. it hasn't been nearly as volatile as some of the, uh, the sure. other times that we've seen. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think 
And this is what I said last year. You know, we needed to get away because two and a half, three percent is not wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. It was a blip. Um, yeah. it's, it's not a real thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was good while it lasted. That's right. Um, <laughs> but we needed to get distance on it yes. for people to realize that where we are is normal. Exactly. Right? And I think, you know, we've kind of, maybe not the spring market people wanted, right. But it's still busier than what it, you know, you know, what, what, we should deserve maybe, <laughs> uh, at least for us. Um, so I think people are finally starting to realize, like, you know, I, I can't wait, you know. Exactly. Um, if I want a house, I got to get a house, you know, 6.5%, 6.5%. It is what it is, you know. And you know what, 6.5%, it, it sounds high coming off of a 2 and 3% rate environment. Sure. But 6.5% is still great. Oh, my gosh, rates were, what, 8%? Uh, mm-hmm over 8% when mm-hmm. I first got into the industry. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking pretty good still. Well, that's mm-hmm. that, that comes where those headlines come in at, right? Mm-hmm. You know, rates have doubled. <laughs> sure, 3 to 6 is a double. I, I get it, you know, but right. we're not talking about 6 to 12. You know? right. <laughs> I mean, uh, context is important. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the biggest issue is, is the prices that come along with the rate, you know, um, and buying power. And as long as we squeeze out our inventory the way we've been doing it, it's it's challenging, but again, that's that's supply and demand, and that's you know six and a half seven percent. It's 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 okay, you know. Exactly, and I mean the affordability factor. I know that's a, a buzzword right now, but yeah. we have to be able to look at uh, well, what are rents doing compared to what a mortgage is doing, and rents are also increasing. So as long as someone can still purchase with a comparable uh, payment to what yeah. they're able to uh, pay rent for, I mean it still yeah. makes sense to to purchase. And even outside of that, even if the, the mortgage payment is a bit higher, it's still uh, an, uh, an asset that's going to appreciate at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Okay, So there's a, that return there. Whereas rent, there's what, what return do we get on rental payments? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is they're not really building apartments a whole lot anymore. Um, you know, places for you to rent. Uh, so, so that's another issue. Um, that can force people into, you know, it's all subdivisions and, and <laughs> all those fun things. Or, uh, I mean, there's some, you know, in the city and, and stuff like that, but it's just not, you know, not to meet the, the population demand uh, where we are. So yeah. it's an issue on both sides, you know, whether it's home ownership or rentals, it's, it's an issue for, we just don't have enough. You know? Yeah, So true. So true. And I, I do uh, hear um, comments uh, about there being a lot of uh, construction for apartments, but mm-hmm. Like you said, is it enough to meet the demand of right. the shortage? And that, that is right. the issue. Yeah, because for the last 10 years, it's just been single-family homes. Mm-hmm. And now it's all of a sudden, it's, oh, well, we need apartments. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're behind, you know, on that. Uh, and you can see that bell curve, even talking about, you know, construction for single-family homes, how it dipped down. And, and now that's how why we're behind, you know, because builders slowed down their pace over, you know, 10 years. And, and then they ramped it up. But it's just still a uh, and then COVID happened and supply change happened and yeah, you know, <laughs> a three month house turned into a year long project. And, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a huge mess. Um, still is, you know, hopefully exactly. getting better, but, um, but going back to the first time home buyers, I met you at a VHDA class or Virginia housing class, first time yes. home buyers class. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, how did you get involved with that? Yeah. And thank you again for uh, participating in that. Yeah. I really enjoyed what you have to say. Um, so I got involved with that because my inspiration for being a mortgage loan officer actually came uh, after my first home purchase experience mm-hmm. um, in the late 
90s. I'm dating myself now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Courtney wasn't born then, by the way. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, wow, you're younger than my youngest son. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a whole other issue with, with her age um, that we can talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was my whole inspiration for, for uh, being a part of the industry. Initially, um, when I first started as a loan officer, I was in um, uh, a call center environment, which was, uh, it, it's funny how you go from role to role, and it's yeah. it's a different experience. It's a different clientele, yeah, yeah. Uh, a different way of handling uh, that, that scenario. But um, yeah, after that experience, I really wanted to work more so with first-time home buyers, but the call center type of environment is not necessarily uh, the best format for those types cool. of products um, like Virginia Housing. So um, I got more involved with Virginia Housing Loans uh, around the 2008 timeframe, okay. uh, which is when I went into the field. Uh, and of course, it's time to go to build. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I always seem to choose uh, to, to make that move around the time of uh, chaos, right? Yep. Uh, after 9-11 and then, uh, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um yeah, it, and it was just a rewarding experience um, being involved with that. Um, my very first uh, Virginia Housing Loan, uh, also uh, the young lady um, had uh, grant money through Housing mm-hmm. Opportunities Made Equal and just being able to experience all that coming together and just the reward of yeah. uh, helping her through that. And she wrote me just this beautiful letter uh, afterwards explaining how she had been on um, been through uh, public assistance, everything, mm-hmm. et cetera, and we just really uh, bonded over, over that moment and just to be able to see how much it changed her life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that from that point forward, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And uh, just uh, fast forward here to more recent years, uh, being able to work with uh, buyers one-on-one and helping them through the, the process and getting the feedback uh, from those clients uh, made me want to get more involved with um, the education piece sure. of uh, being able to to be more hands-on more so than what I can do in just the average phone call. Yeah, I've done, um, I got started because the agent reached out and she said, hey, take this class. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I took it and, um, you know, only did them for her. She she was doing it. She's been doing it for a while. Um, and then uh, probably the last six or eight months, I started getting a lot more requests. Um, you know, started with a brokerage in Newport News. Uh, they said, hey, we want to do this month- monthly, you know, the first six or seven months of the year. I said, cool. You know, send me this calendar and, you know, I put it in there and I'll be down there. And then um, the last couple of months has really blown up. Um, you know, got probably about six or eight on the calendar for June and July. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, but I, I enjoy it for the same reasons. Uh, nobody knows what we do. Um, that includes uh, clients and agents and other home inspectors. Uh, like nobody has any idea what it is that, that we do or what a home inspection truly is and or isn't. And, you know, most importantly, what we do not do, what we can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand the differences between, you know, one inspector to another, uh, you know, not not every inspector walks a roof. Not every inspector has the ability to use a drone and see the roof, you know. So uh, the one I did just last week, yesterday, oh, yesterday, wow, I don't know what day we're on. Um, you know, Last told, week to yesterday, really soon? Right, right. <laughs> you know, kids, life. <laughs> um, I say, hey, do you know that, you know, by our standards of practice, all the inspector has to do is inspect uh, the roof from right out that window, you know, on the ground. Wow. That's it. 
you know, and then everybody's like blown away. I was like, that's why yes. we ask questions, you know, when you schedule a home inspection, you know, what do you do? Um, so I really enjoy it. Um, it's, it's fun interacting with them. Uh, uh, people taking those classes and the first time home buyers and all that stuff. So uh, with that being said, I don't think I've ever talked about Virginia housing uh, on a podcast. I've talked to a couple of different lenders, but I don't think we've talked about it. So um, what you can share, uh, what, what is Virginia housing and, and their programs and, you know, what their goal is and all that stuff. Cause you probably know way more about that than <laughs> I do. Um, you know, Cause I come in for my hour part and I, and that's it. You know? That's quite all right. Uh, Virginia housing, and I promise you, uh, they didn't pay me to say this, but right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're a state funded uh, agency. Um, I, I consider them a housing advocacy organization because they're all about the education piece and offering uh, products and services to uh, benefit the home buyer, to yeah. benefit the, the client. Um, so that is my draw to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I definitely appreciate what they do. Uh, they, they're very conscious about improving the, the products and services and hearing uh, feedback on, on how to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but um, pretty much most types of products that you can think of, uh, your, your basic conventional uh, FHA, uh, rural housing, uh, VA, all of those loan types are offered under the Virginia housing umbrella. And the difference between uh, doing that loan through Virginia housing versus just doing an, uh, an FHA or conventional loan direct uh, is that there are additional benefits uh, available, such as down payment assistance, mm-hmm. um, such as uh, being able to borrow the down payment plus a portion of the closing fees in some cases. Okay. Um, so that's something that's looked at on an individual basis, depending on the client needs and uh, the application details. So all the same loans are available. They're just adding some assistance to it. I yes, know additional that. benefits. Okay. Yes, okay. absolutely, absolutely. And I've done enough of them where I can definitely tell you that, uh, you know, it, it's a great way uh, for buyers, especially in this market right now, uh, to be able to minimize how much cash is needed for closing yeah. because it's not as common for sellers to pay closing fees um, sure. like it was several years ago. So uh, to be able to get into a home and have some of your down payment covered by yeah. Virginia Housing, um, you know, it's pretty awesome. Awesome. So one of the things I see um, come through, you know, just hearing people talk um, is the fact that when explain, I guess, explain the difference between the Mm pre-approval and when you're actually getting into it. Right. Because I see a lot of people, they get pre-approved for a loan and then they go find their house and whatnot, you know, they put their offer in and then, you know, not you, but the underwriter, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Comes back with all these different things that they want and things kind of can fall apart there. And and so what's, what's the difference between pre-approval and I guess the underwriting process once you're getting deeper into it? Yes, that's a great point. So the terms pre-approval, pre-qualification, whatever label you want to put on it, it does not mean loan guarantee. And I think that's where, where people get a little tripped up on that. Uh, The term pre-approval means that we have uh, completed a loan application Uh uh, and that we have reviewed uh, applicant uh, income and assets based on what was submitted with okay. that initial file. That's a pre-approval. Okay. Okay. Uh, the underwriting process is going to be a layer uh, more detailed in that 
it is not only going to be that application and validation of the income and assets used for that loan, mm-hmm. but we also have to validate other key factors uh, to be able to approve that that mortgage. And the okay. underwriter is the last opportunity, basically, to evaluate <laughs> all of that information and to make um, uh, make a, a request for additional information, if need be, uh, to satisfy those approval requirements. Okay. So that's why sometimes in the final hour, even there may be requests for additional information. Yeah. Awesome. Courtney's, Courtney's giving us dirty looks. (laughs) (laughs) Was that too loud or too loud? For for anybody, anybody watching the YouTube channel, that's, that's why, you know, (laughs) we look at Courtney, she gives us dirty looks um, versus yelling at us on the microphone. (laughs) Yeah. Just nod her head. Yeah. Drinking her drink. That's meant for early Courtney, not late Courtney. (laughs) <laughs> I was two minutes early, <laughs> by the way, two minutes, two minutes. Uh, what's some <laughs> two minutes is two minutes. That's right. Yeah, that's that's early. That's early. I get you. <laughs> Uncle Sam would do a lot of good for you. <laughs> Not the air force, but the other branches. So, yeah. You're right on par for the air force. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um, uh, so what's some other things that you see, um, common pitfalls and things like that, or you see clients and agents struggle with, uh, especially newer agents, um, obviously, um, when, when you start seeing applications come through and things like that. Yeah, I would say more, the more common pitfalls that I would see, um, with applications is just the slow response on being able to provide documentation. I don't think, uh, a lot of folks really realize what that documentation is for and, um, why it's so important that we have that information and the clear uh, the picture we can paint for the underwriter um, without uh, having um, holes in the application in other words questions and try to address the questions up front right. uh, so that by the time the underwriter gets the file the question is already addressed okay okay uh, so just making sure that the information is complete um, yeah. for example uh, typically, uh, with most applications, it's uh, two months uh, bank statements, mm-hmm. uh, the most recent 30 days of pay stubs, two years of uh, tax returns, and W-2s. So a lot of times there will be missing W-2s or not all pages of the tax returns or undisclosed business income or business loss. All of that yeah. plays a factor. So just making sure that we have all of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you said two years of employment. I see this question pop up all the time in mm-hmm. the mastermind groups, you know, self-employed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I started my own business and I want to buy a house, but I'm six months in my new business, you know? So what's, is there anything that can be done for people with less than two years of, of employment history, whether it's self-employed or, or just regular employment? Okay, so for um, regular employment, I'd say salary mm-hmm. or um, salaried um, There's applicants. regular people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, salary or hourly, think of it this way. Uh, what the lender is looking for is consistency in income. Mm-hmm. So if we can document consistency, even if it's less than two years with that particular employer, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean that someone's not going to qualify. That income could still potentially be used. Um, where the longer time frame is needed is if there's, uh, for example, varying hours. So someone who's hourly who might work 35 hours one week might work 42 hours gotcha. the next week. So uh, if we're trying to establish a pattern of consistency, that's where that longer time frame is needed. Um, but for someone uh, who may be salaried where there's a set, set uh, pay that we can bank on, um, even if it has just been 
two months or three months or six months or however long um, that consistency is already yeah. established. So you work right. for somebody like local, local, state, federal government, you know, because that's the easy one to pull from where I get a guaranteed salary that doesn't really change minus overtime, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and even outside of that, for hourly employees, um, it doesn't mean that they're they're not going to be eligible either. But um, if we can identify that there is a set minimum number of hours sure. that that individual is going to work, then we could use that as well. Okay. Uh, now, for self-employed applicants, it's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> self-employed, as you, as you know, uh, the whole benefit in being self-employed, aside from all the the perks of being your own boss and all that <laughs> yes, wonderful so stuff. so many perks. <laughs> <laughs> Work 100 hours a week. Right? That's right. Um, That's right. Deal with Courtney. Yes. <laughs> Um, But we have to look at the tax returns uh, to be able to document the income uh, for self-employed applicants. And same thing. We're looking at consistency. Uh, So because we can't rely on a pay stub or something like that to validate that, we're looking at what's been reported to IRS. And two years is typically the minimum time frame. So the next rabbit hole for that is um, so many, I'm not saying I do this, but mm-hmm. so many self-employed businesses, you know, they run their businesses pretty lean uh, or they try to keep as much money in the business as possible. Mm-hmm. So they pay themselves minimum, right? Uh, so so even though their businesses can be very profitable or is very profitable uh, on paper, you know, it may not look that way. Mm-hmm. So what's the, you know, challenges or and overcoming those challenges, you know, or is it just like, hey, at some point you just need to realize if you want to buy a house or a car or whatever, um, you need to kind of adjust how you're doing this. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that um, I, I can't really give tax advice. Sure. Okay, so that that's going to be more of a, an individual question that they want to have, yeah. uh, someone would want to have with their, their tax preparer. Sure. And uh, suggestions on how to show uh, more positive income on yeah. the return. Um, but outside of that, uh, minimizing the write-offs, mm-hmm. you know, that that's one way that's going to help. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, write-offs, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, minimize write-offs. Pay more taxes. Yeah. You know, I know That's, it's a, a delicate balance yeah. in there. It's but always funny. Um, you know, at the end of the year, you'll get so many people say, uh, "You know, well, my, you know, I've made this much money. I, I need to go buy a new car because mm-hmm. I have to pay taxes on that money." Or you just pay tax for that money and, you know, keep the extra. You know, I mean, you don't have to buy a $40,000 car just to come out ahead. But, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Speaking of, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that's actually a pretty common thing that I see with applications when folks will buy a car and then uh, buy the house. And yeah. unfortunately, that car payment still has to be considered in, in the yeah. mortgage application evaluation. So if at all possible, um minimize all debts before actually yeah. starting that application and definitely don't purchase any, any <laughs> big ticket items. No $40,000 cars. We, no. we did an inspection. I mm-hmm. did an inspection and it was like still in the crazy market, you know, and they were doing informational purposes only or whatever. And it was just not a good house and they were kind of stuck. You know, they didn't really have any real out unless financing fell through. You know, oh. that was like their last hurdle. The age is like, Go buy a car or something. <laughs> like, I don't want to buy it because that's going to affect you, you know. I mean, that's not like something oh, you quickly no. recover from uh-huh. um, you know, if wow. you want to buy a house. Uh-huh. Um, so, but, yeah, you can kind of go buy a car if, if you really need to get 
this. Oh my god! <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Uh, uh, so yeah, I don't advise it, but that's just something you can't do. So fortunately, they found another way to get out without having to buy oh, a car. Um, wonderful. Because okay. obviously, you go buy a car that that might be the end of your house hunting, uh, yeah. <laughs> right there. Uh, you know, so depending yeah. on the scenario, I mean, it's not going to affect everybody that sure. way, but it's sure. it's a for those, uh, those clients it's going to affect. Yeah, yes. yeah, they, they were they would have been done. Um, <laughs> oh no! Uh, any other tips for applications or or going through the process? Um, clients, agents, anybody? Uh, yeah, I would say for agents and clients, you know, just being realistic um, about uh, the numbers. Um, is is the best thing for for both sides okay you know just uh for for agents understand that the lender is working with the information that the buyer provides yeah uh not a whole lot that we can do to stretch those numbers but so far the numbers are what they are sure you know um and for the the buyers just making sure that you're having honest conversations with your lenders of choice mm -hmm. uh, and really accepting uh, the information that's uh, being given and uh, trying to provide information as clearly and accurately as possible uh, and being uh, forthcoming. If there's uh, things, for example, like alimony, child support uh, that's being paid, um, please make sure that that information is being disclosed because that's the kind of stuff that can come back later on in the process um, and, and hurt you. Um, and yeah, just uh, being realistic with um, with yourself about uh, what amount you might qualify for, and, okay. and being able to make those short term sacrifices to get to the goal. Uh, but definitely, no big ticket purchase purchases uh, prior to uh, application. Minimize any credit pulls. Um, save cash, mm -hmm. um, and by cash, I mean uh, paychecks. Not necessarily just uh, cash deposited at, sure. at at the house, put it in the bank. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that we can document it. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, any other closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I would definitely uh, want to share that, um, you know, for those folks who are feeling a little discouraged, a little mm -hmm. beat up, uh, to hang in there. You know, yeah. hang in there. Don't don't give up. Um, there are definitely opportunities out here, mm -hmm. um, but definitely don't give up. Awesome. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Yes. Uh, so the best way to reach me is through my cell, which is 804-617-9645. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I did. You <laughs> said it was going to be fun, and it, it was. was. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it.